Hi, this is Amy Impelizari, host of Top Hobby Writers Presents I Know How This Book Ends. Today I am here with the amazing Hank Philippi Ryan. Hank Philippi Ryan is the on air investigative reporter for Boston's WHDH TV. She has won, get this, 37 Emmys and dozens more journalism honors. She's the national best-selling author of 13 thrillers. She's an award winner in her second profession with five Agathas, three Anthonys, two McCa- I'm saying this wrong. McCavities, the Daphne, and for the other woman, the coveted Mary Higgins Clark Award. Critics call her a master of suspense, a gifted and a superb and gifted storyteller. And she is the only author to have won the Agatha in four different categories, best first, best novel, best short story, and best nonfiction. Her newest novel is superb. It is called Her Perfect Life. I love this book. I'm a huge fan. And I still think that this is probably my favorite, which is saying a lot. Hank, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. You know, it's so much fun to hear that, hear your words of that glorious introduction. You know, when when I'm having a bad writing day and I think, (laughs) whose idea was this? I can never, I don't even know how I wrote a book the first place. And I certainly can't write this new one. When I I hear words like yours, I I think, okay, this has worked in the past. Maybe it'll work again. So I'm very grateful. You just helped me with my words for the day. Oh, good. Hank, I'm thrilled to hear that. You, you're a huge inspiration to me. I, you know, I was reading in your acknowledgments because I do read every single word of certain people's books. You're one of them right down to the acknowledgments. And (laughs) I, you were saying in the acknowledgments of her perfect life that you were reading, you were writing this book on deadline in March of 2020 right on the eve of the world shutting down and you interrupted your book tour and, 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 and sort of had this moment where you thought, well, wait a minute, does this matter anymore? And you concluded, thank goodness for all of us that yes, yes, it did. But I was really moved by that because that was very poignant. You and I were together on the eve of the shutdown. My last public book event was in the Hamptons, uh, at the bedside reading book festival with you. And, I remember coming home. That was the uh, the unofficial launch of my book. I know how this ends, the namesake of this podcast. And uh, I know how this ends. And I remember coming home and thinking the same thing. Does this really matter? And and how did you how did you decide that yes, this does matter? Well, it's such an interesting question. And when you were talking about our time in the Hamptons together, mm-hmm. doesn't that seem so long ago? Yes. And so innocent. It seemed like such a glorious, innocent time. Yes. When our, our worries were so small and we were so happy and anything was possible. Little did we know what anything is possible meant Yes. Um, at that time. And it's funny because on March the 20th, 2020, I was in Palm Beach at a big book event where there were 250 people. Oh, and, my, and it was just at the time when we were beginning to think, oh my golly, this is not good. Yes. And I remember going into this room with the 250 people, which any other time I would have been thrilled. And right. I, I would, I don't tell anyone, but I was thinking, get me out of here. You right. Know, just, of course. I just want to go home. So I, after I did my event and it was great. Um, and then I hightailed it to the airport and I was sitting in the airport waiting room and some people were wearing masks at that time in Florida. Um, many people weren't because we didn't have them. You know, nobody right. knew whether you were supposed to do that. And I remember that um, a woman in the waiting room 
pulled, she had a mask on, she pulled the elastic away from her face, she sneezed, and then she put the mask back on. And I thought, <laughs> no, no, no. Unclear on this the concept. Is that not, is wrong. not clear, right? <laughs> so, oh my think, goodness. in answer to your wonderful question, so I got on the plane. I always, I love to ride on planes, and I flipped mm. over my laptop and I thought, okay, I'm going to ride on the plane on the way home. And I could not do it. I could not do it. I stared at that laptop screen and I thought, I'm writing. A, a commercial fiction, a thriller, and a story that's entertainment? I don't think so. I think mm. I want to go home and hide and watch television and hope that the world doesn't end. And I and I really thought about it and I and I didn't solve the problem on that plane on the way home. I came home. I still tried to write. I mean, I was on deadline. I had right. 15,000 words done of a book that needed to be done yes. and I had been so on schedule. Perfect. I was so proud of myself. And I finally realized that, yes, I was writing entertainment. Yes, I was writing something that was escapist. And yes, this is exactly what right. we need. You know, um, from time immemorial, storytelling has taken us away from our problems. And I thought, I'm going to write something that's going to be so darn entertaining and so darn escapist and have people enter a new world with someone else's problems yes. and another situation and take us out of where we are now. And it, my, my brain said to me, it's always safe inside a book. It's mm, always right. safe inside right. a book. And I thought I chose to be a writer with agency and with intent to write thrillers, to write psychological suspense. And I still think it's a good decision to be a storyteller. And that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a storyteller. And I've been writing great guns ever since. It took about two weeks. How long did it take for you? You know, it took probably about the same. It was pretty, it was pretty quick for me. And I also felt the, I felt the community of authors rally in the same sort of time frame. So it was sort of, uh, and, and I felt that that community, that camaraderie, that as we were all locking our doors and sort of hunkering down and feeling very alone, I felt, I did feel a little bit of solace in the writing community. And, and I thought, you know, I started the book club. I know how this book ends. You, and I was so amazed by the generosity of authors too, right? So people were trying to help me promote a book that had just come out on the eve of a, of a, a global pandemic. And I wanted to do whatever I could to pay that forward. And so I was trying to help others who were launching books in those next weeks and months. And of course you were doing the same thing. And we, you know, you got involved with some really amazing virtual projects that are still going strong and still amazing assets to, to writers. First chapter fun, the back room. Tell us a little bit about how you mobilized to, uh, to create the, some of those events. I so agree with you, Amy, because I think that there was a moment of feeling very alone. Yes. And then we thought, wait a minute, my author pals are in this situation yes. as well. And authors who I don't even know who are in this situation as well. You work for a, a whole year or probably longer to, the, to make this gorgeous baby of a book that you're going to release to the world and go out and talk to people about it. And suddenly you can't do that. I mean, talk about the rug being pulled out from under you. And then think about 
you can't go to a bookstore anymore. How right. am I supposed to know what a good book is? I can't go to the library anymore to look for a book. I can't talk to an author at an author event. How am I supposed to know? Right. The, you know, this, this culture and world that I love got taken away. The doors got slammed on all of us. And I think we all got to sort of got together and thought, wait a minute, we need to mobilize, we need to pivot, we need to be nimble. I mean, I think one of the things that we learned from the pandemic is that we can, we can adapt. We can think, okay, the world is pretty awful. But we still love this. And we are still in this together. So Karen Dion, internationally bestselling author, Karen Dion and I were at an event together, some sort of a Zoom event. And we realized that we really missed seeing the the audience. You know, we didn't want to talk to the screen anymore. We wanted to see people. So we cooked up this scheme to have a sort of a Zoom platform called The Back Room, where we would invite authors to come and then big time, fabulous authors. I mean, next week is Jeffrey Deaver and I'm with (laughs) Jeffrey Deaver. I'm with Tess Gerritsen. I'm with PJ Vernon. We've had so many wonderful people with brand new books and the readers can come into the back room, thebackroom.org and be in the Zoom with them. The, The authors can see the readers and the readers can see the authors. And it's just fantastic. And it's grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. We had hoped to have, you know, 40 people per event. And now we're in the hundreds. I mean, it's just. Yes. And you've managed to create intimacy, an intimate virtual event, which is a a rarity because many people have created various virtual events. And of course, you know, a lot of our events have just gone virtual, right? And then just a sort of a, but you have created something really special, right? Because you've created this very intimate setting and very exclusive setting. And and it is something that has survived, not that the world is completely reopened now, but it is something that has, has continues to have legs post post uh, global shutdown. So I think that speaks to what it is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And completely because another thing that we learned in the pandemic in our endless looking at the bright side is that there are people who live in places that don't ever have book events. Right. We have have people in the back room and at first chapter fun, we should talk about that as well. In the back room who come from all over the world, from Australia, from the UK, from Canada, from who, you know, everywhere and everyone can come to the back room and we all see each other. The, the authors talk to the readers and the readers talk to the authors. And it's just like a big party where yeah. you actually see people. Yeah. Um, and we limit, as you said, we limit the attendance so you can really talk to people. And it's been very interactive and very wonderful. It's growing like crazy and we're booking into next year. And I, we will certainly, I mean, we will certainly protect this thing that we've learned that we're all it's a global thing now. Yes. It's a global pandemic and it's a global solution. Yes. And it's, you know, it's a global benefit. And first chapter fun that yes, I do with is him. also booking into next year, <laughs> which is, is inc- another thing that's really been an incredible option. Hannah Mary, Hannah Mary McKinnon and I, every Tuesday and Thursday, at 1230 PM ET, the wonderful best-selling author Hannah Mary McKinnon and I read the first chapter of a new book out loud. And it is astonishing. The um, This is on Facebook and on Instagram yes. simultaneously. It's a big responsibility. We practice and practice. I know. That's me. what amazes me. I love <laughs> that you guys these practice and take this so loud. seriously. Yes. But, you know, it's also a wonderful way for authors to reveal their books to people, for people to get a taste of the books. We have, we call, Hannah and I call it this, you know, sort of safe community every Tuesday and Thursday at 1230 p.m. You can come hear a story. 
It's storytelling. Yeah. yeah. And that not that what we all do is tell stories and share stories. And First Chapter Fun is another way of doing that. I love that. Hank, you are uh, an incredible inspiration to me in, in life and writing. I've I really, we have met through the top hobby writers, but I have really uh, been so privileged to hear you talk, be at your events, talk with you about writing and life. You talked in the Hamptons about something that has stuck with me, a special anniversary that you and your amazing husband celebrate. And it's not your wedding anniversary and it's not even the day you met. And I just think it's, I share this with people, uh, this, the story that you've told, um, can you share it with listeners? Because I think it's a really amazing insight into you and, uh, and really sort of the, the person and the writer you are. Oh my golly. Yes, it is. It's quite a treasure of a day for us. My husband, Jonathan and I don't celebrate the anniversary of the day we met. We celebrate the anniversary of the day before we met. And And we call it, you never know day because you never know what wonderful thing is around the next corner. And both Jonathan and I separately, we didn't know each other. We were both happy. Our lives were fine. And we met by chance one August day in Nantucket. We met by chance and we have not been apart from that day. We have not been apart since that day. And the day before that day, we had no idea that that was going to happen. Mm. And sometimes Sometimes in all realms of our life, not just writing, but in our in our real life, in our real world, sometimes we're dejected or rejected or disappointed or think our lives are miserable or we'll never be happy again. And then, you know, that's your that's your you never know day, because the next day, the next moment, something wonderful could happen. And I don't we just not we need to not lose sight of that. And it's even more relevant now, isn't it? Yes. Um, You never know what change will happen. Um, it's incredibly poignant because you told that story. I heard you, you, I heard that story for the first time in the Hamptons just before, you know, on the eve of the pandemic. And so, but you know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't know. And I think you, but the message is one of wonder and, and, um, and the message is one of optimism, you know, in the face of everything is that, you know, we worry and worry, you know, we all try to control the world. Yes. We, we, no, we can't control the world. We all try to control our lives. We can't control our lives. No. We can just do the best we can. And sometimes the universe says, guess what? And it's bad. And then the next moment, the universe says, but what about this? Yeah. And it's wonderful. And so I try to look forward. I try to be optimistic. I try to say to myself, well, that's interesting. Let's see what's going to happen next. And often, often it's great. Sometimes the worst possible thing that happens to us turns out at some point along the way to be the best possible thing that ever happened. And you just don't know. And since we don't know, it's a, it's an insight into that worrying does not matter. Right. Worrying is not going to make a difference. It's only destructive and toxic. So yes. to sort of open yourself to the universe and open your mind and open your heart and go forward um, with optimism and intention, that's all we can, that's all we really have. That's the only control we have. So now that you have everybody sort of nodding and leaning in and yes, <laughs> oh my goodness, let's talk about your newest book, Her Perfect Life. This book is so special it's a story about a lot of things, but I think it's a story about the cost of fame 
but also the snowball effect of small lies that become big and uh, and sort of small decisions, what seem to be small decisions at one point in our life, how they sort of snowball into really big decisions and, or big consequences. And uh, it's a it's a page turner. It is certainly uh, on brand for you, but also so fresh and so unique. How did this particular story come to be? Well, her perfect life, you're so right, is about fame, but it's also about family, and it's about sisters, and it's about betrayal, and it's about guilt, and it's about revenge. Mm. And all, all of those elements are so powerful. The idea of betrayal, that someone yanks the, 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 tr- the rug of trust out from under yeah. you, and what do you do? And do you look for revenge? And how does guilt change our lives? And then if you put all that under the umbrella of the spotlight of fame. Um, I can quickly, very quickly tell you the story of where this came from. Um, I was the weekend anchor person in Atlanta at the at the NBC affiliate in Atlanta at the time. Um, And I came home after anchoring the the 11 o'clock news on Saturday night. So it was after midnight. I turned the corner and onto Park Street, my little street in Atlanta. And the street was full of police cars and flashing blue lights. And I thought, oh, maybe I've come up across a crime scene. I've been a oh television goodness. reporter for years and years. Right. And so I know a crime scene when I saw it. Right. <laughs> and as I drove up the street, I realized that if there was a crime scene, it was at my house. The oh blue goodness. lights and the police cars were all around my house. So I leaped out of the car and I said, I ran to the nearest police officer and I said, I'm Hank from Channel 2. And he said, yeah, I know who you are, ma'am. <laughs> and I said, that's my house. And he said, yep, I know that too, ma'am. And I said, well, what happened? What happened? Why are you here? I'm getting goosebumps telling you about this. Oh, my goodness. And, and he said, we, we caught the guy that broke into your house. There was a burglar who oh was in your goodness. house. And we caught him. And that's him in the cruiser behind us. And when we asked what he was doing, he said he had broken into your house in particular, that he knew it was your house. And that he had done it because he knew you were live on television <gasps> and not home. He oh, knew I where, and I thought, uh, exactly. It was essentially that he, and it came to me with this unsettling, disturbing moment that he knew where I was, yes. so he knew where I wasn't. Yes. And how vulnerable um, that public personality was you know he could have watched me how did he know where i lived he could have watched me watch out walk out of the station every day and followed me i'd never know sure all all of those things and i realized the vulnerability of the spotlight you know all those emmys you talked about yes you know every one of those emmys you know it helped people it changed laws it it changed lives it got people millions of dollars in refunds and restitution that got people's homes out of foreclosure all good but every one of those shiny statues also revealed a secret that someone didn't want you to know. Yes. I told a story that someone was trying to keep private. And so every one of those Emmys also represents an enemy, doesn't it? Someone who, who wishes that I hadn't been in their lives. That you hadn't and, told the truth. Yeah, wishes that I hadn't told the truth and wishes yeah. I would go away. Yeah. And how angry might that make them. So I took a character, Lily Atwood, the main character of this book is Lily Atwood, a beloved reporter, more famous than anybody could ever be, me at least. And (laughs) um, she has fame. She has 
fortune. She has Emmys. She's the single mother to an adorable seven-year-old daughter. And she's also in the spotlight. Everybody knows Lily Atwood. And that may be the most dangerous thing of all because Lily also has a deep, dark secret. And she, how can you keep a secret when you're always in the spotlight? And she begins to realize that by being in the spotlight, she's not only made herself vulnerable, but she's made her little daughter vulnerable. And what does she do about that? And if this secret gets out, it will ruin her life. It will ruin little Rowan's life. It'll ruin her career. Talk about the cost of fame, as you said. You yeah. know, we all think, ooh, wouldn't it be fun to be famous? Right, right. And I'm trying to sort of turn the prism on fame and say, well, not necessarily, not right. necessarily. Lily chose the spotlight. That She's a grown-up and she chose the spotlight and she knew the deal. But her daughter did not choose the spotlight. But whatever happens to Rowan is Lily's fault. And talk about guilt and betrayal. And that's how the story came together. That is so, so amazing and so fascinating. And of course, it's it's really special to read a book that has sort of an insider look, right? Because you, you are, you are a journalist and, and you, you have had enjoyed fame in your life. And so we have, we see that through, through that lens and, and that makes the book really powerful and compelling. Of course there, it's not a legal thriller, but there are certainly, um, legal aspects to this book, just like there are in, in others of, of your novels. And I, and so because I have met your amazing husband, Jonathan, I always can't help but wonder, and he's, for those who don't know, he's a very successful criminal defense attorney. And I always wonder uh, do, when I read, you know, when I read any kind of legal thriller, and I know there's a lawyer involved, how big a role does he play in brainstorming or sort of talking about the legal aspects of some of your books? That's so funny. You can't see me smiling as you're as you're asking that as you're asking that question. Um, you know, Jonathan is a, is is a wonderful lawyer, a brilliant lawyer, and I'm really lucky to have in-house counsel. Yes. That's all I can say. And it's, it's so funny because now in the pandemic, I work right here in the study, yes. and Jonathan works in the other room. Um, and he's in court on Zoom, and he's yes. still still yes. practicing like crazy, and it yes. all works. But every day on my writing days, from time to time, I'll go into Jonathan and say, sweetheart, um, <laughs> I have the legal question of the day, okay? And, you know, it's not just about the law, but it is about, it could even be about the law or yeah. how a judge works or how yes. a lawyer thinks or how, yeah. a, you know, how a court officer, what their duties are, what a detective would do, what a detective would say right. to a lawyer, all those kinds of things. And so... It's interesting because I've covered many legal trials from, you know, Klaus von Vilo right, to sure. Richard oh, Rodney. my goodness. So I've been, I've been an insider in so many trials, yes. but to have a legal insider, you know, sitting right in the next room every day is quite wonderful. And interestingly, he turns out to be a pretty great proofreader. Oh my goodness. So, I love that. True collaboration that like, in true work and life. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So because this is the, I know how this book ends podcast, I always ask, but of course, spoiler free, I like to ask about the ending of the book and whether this was always the ending you foresaw. I know, and, and the listeners might not know because I have, we have talked about your writing process in the past. And I know that you write 
somewhat your your you write somewhat linearly, right? The story unfolds. You write it as the story unfolds. Um, and maybe maybe this was different, but was is that the same way you wrote in her perfect? I mean, is that the same way you wrote her perfect life? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I have a way that I write a book which starts. I mean, it's interesting because George R. R. Martin says there are architects who write books with outlines, and then they build the scaffolding of the yes. out, of the outline, and then they fill it in with plaster and paint and trim and all that, and that makes the book. But they, he says there are also gardeners yes. who start with a little seed of an idea, and they plant the idea, and they cultivate it, and watch it grow, and they see what it turns out to be. And that is how I write. I sit down and I type chapter one and I think, okay, let's see what happens. You and approach so, your writing just the way you approach life with this amazing optimism <laughs> and wonder. That's what I mean about you. It's just so well, inspirational. And you know what's so interesting? Thank you. And you know what's so interesting about it is that it's also the way that I approach writing investigative stories ah. is that I don't know what's going to happen next when I do it, when I do a new story, I have an right. idea or a theory or you know, a possibility. And I say, okay, let's see what happens. So it's risky, Amy, it's a tightrope to do that. Yes. Because I have a, you know, no, no matter how freeform my ride, I, my deadline is there uh, written in stone. So I know how to tell a story. I know a story with a beginning, middle, and an end, yes. and a character who you care about, and a problem who needs to be that needs to be solved, where the good guys win and the bad guys get what's coming to them, and in the end, you change the world a little bit. And whether that's investigative reporting, or or crime fiction, psychological fiction, it's the same way. But the so when people say, "Wow, the end of a perfect life," you really you really surprised me. Yes, I say. Yeah, wasn't that a surprise? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, and in writing her perf- in writing her perfect life, um, one of the one of the elements of that was you see how the how the characters make their decisions, yes. and that reveals their personality. Yes. And when I there was there's always the moment in writing as a gardener where you have to decide how it ends. Yes, and when I. And I always spend a little bit of time on that, sort of walking up and down, complaining that I have no idea how this ends and how am I supposed to do this and I don't know. And when I figured out the end of her perfect life, I was by myself in my study and I stood up and applauded. And I thought, <laughs> I thought I'm by myself. And I thought, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly, <laughs> this is exactly what happens. And it's realistic and mm-hmm. it's authentic. And it was such a surprise to me that really tears came to my eyes oh, I love when that. I thought of it. And so that's sort of how I know when I'm finished. Right. Tears tears come to my eyes and I think, okay, you got this. Well, we applauded as well, trust me, because it really is a spectacular ending. And you will have to, listeners, you will have to read it for yourself. Tell us, Hank, what is next? What are you working on now? And what can you what can you tell us about your next project? Oh, yikes, you know, I'm in the middle, the deadly muddle in the middle of the next book where I am clawing my way through this process that I just described, I wonder what's going to happen next. But if, if her perfect life is about fame and the cost of fame, the my new book, which I think is called Her New Best Friend, I Ooh, think, okay. um, is about the price of friendship <gasps> and women oh, as this. friends and how, what if somebody weaponizes friendship? Oh, um, hey, and, and, and as one of them, thank you. And as one of them says, 
money changes everything. That's what friends are for. So we'll see what happens in the end. Amy, I can tell you that the deadline for this is in 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, now we are on the edge of our seat. And thank you for taking a break from your deadline to talk with me. This has been an absolute pleasure, Hank. I Please uh, come back and tell us more when uh, when the new book comes out for sure. And when we have a real title. But I love that working title. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, when I know how this book ends, (laughs) I I will come back and talk with you about it very happily. And thank you for shining a light, the spotlight on her perfect life. I'm so honored to talk with you about it. Thank you so much. Everyone, Her Perfect Life is available now. And don't forget to rate this podcast and follow it on Spotify and also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Amy. You're fabulous. Mm -hmm.